we've been going through uh, Romans. If you've got your Bibles, your devices, whatever, we're in Romans 3. We're going to be 21 through 31 today. And if you've been with us, you know that, that Paul has been showing us that we're really not as awesome as we think we are. Uh, right? And I'll tell you, I'm going to share a funny story with you because I was recently reminded how awesome that I'm not. Um, and I'm going to let you guys in on that. I, I, about a month or two ago, I signed up to play uh, for the church softball team. All right, much to my wife's uh, uh, discouragement to do so. She's always afraid of me to hurt. But uh, anyway, I signed up, and that's the league where uh, the surrounding local churches come together, and, um, and, they, and they, we play against each other on Friday nights, right? Fellowship, it's all good stuff. So we come together, and, um, and I'm, like, I'm like, heck yeah, I'll do this. I've still got some game, and um, I, I'm an evangelical, so I, I love to sit around some people that need Jesus and share the gospel with them, so I'll do that. Um, that was a joke. You guys just, that just blew right past you guys, didn't it? Okay, all right, now you'll get that one later. Uh, so anyway, I'm all in. I sign up, I go, and uh, we get in there, and I'm feeling really good about myself. I haven't touched a softball in probably five, six, seven years, but I'm all about it. I want to get out there. And I can still do this, you know. And and, and um, I probably the, the the song of Toby Keith rings in my mind. I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. That's kind of ringing true in my ear. So I'm getting up and 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 this is feeling really good. Uh, but I'm not going to go overboard. I'm not going to stretch it too hard. I'm just going to kind of play. And and but but you get out there and then just competitive nature kind of sets in. Uh, so so I get up to the plate and. And I'm just kind of feeling a little bit, you know, confident. I'm thinking, pretty good. I got this. I'm awesome. As I get up and I, hit, I turn around and hit left-handed, I'm right-handed. I don't know why I did that. Just kind of started feeling really good about myself. So I get up and I hit left-handed. And I just, I mean, I, I launched one. And it went out, just burnt the outfielders, went out to the outfield fence. So I'm going full speed. There's no half speed. I'm not worried about coming into the office Monday. I'm all in now. So I round first. All right, that ball's still going. I round second, and I'm, round, I'm feeling really, really good about myself at this point. So I round second, come into third, and then here it comes. There's going to be a play at third base. And I told myself, I ain't sliding. This is just church league softball. No way. I hit the ground, slide in, going to be a close play. The ball comes in, and the ball hits me instead of the, the, the third baseman. Drills me in the back of the leg. And I, and I didn't even realize that until somebody told me after first service. Drills me into the back of the leg. So I'm laying there on the ground. I, I, I was feeling really good. And I got drilled in the back of the leg. The ball shoots off to, uh, to, to left field. So it squirts off my leg. So I take a hit there. And it's going out to left field. So I'm like, man, I can make it home. <laughs> I'm getting ready to get a home run in church league softball. That's the top, by the way, in case you didn't know that. That's reached it. So I get up and I'm going to take off home. Well, the problem is... As I started running before I stood up, all right, if you know what I mean, you're down on the ground, and I'm wanting to go so fast, man, I don't want to wait until I stand up and actually get full balance to run. That would be the smart thing. I'm gone. So I get up, and I'm literally from ground, and I start taking off. Well, the next 50 feet is not really me running. It's me falling forward in a very slow fashion, and I'm just like, there's, I'm, I mean, it's just like this cartoon character. I'm going down. I'm going down, I'm going down, when is this going to happen? It's going to happen, and I'm like, this is going to be on America's Funniest Videos, and it's just, this, it takes, feels like forever, all right? Face plant right on the ground. I'm about 10 feet away from home, I hit the ground straight down, uh, eating some dirt, back legs are flying up behind me, I'm doing a straight scorpion, and, and, 
and, and I'm just laying there on the ground, buddy. I, I'm not as awesome as I thought I was, right? The whole, there's people from the church watching all this go on, and I'm sure they're loving it. So then, so then, then what happens is that's not bad enough already. I face-planted. I've been drilling the back of the leg. Well, the left fielder picks up the ball, and he's like, man, I can drill this guy out at home. I'm going to send this guy right home right now. Picks up the ball, throws it home. Instead of it being in the catcher's hand, it drills me in the other leg. Beans me in the back of the leg, and, and I'm, so I'm really big beat up at this point, and the ball squirts off to the fence, and I muster up enough, I don't know what, crawling, half, walking, I don't know what I did, to cross the plate and, and, and score, but man, I was quickly reminded, I'm not as good as I think that I was, and uh, if you've been going through Romans uh, with us, that's exactly what Paul's been, been showing us, that we're not as good as as we think we are, right? We've been uh, he's been de- showing us how depraved we are. We have no ability. He's been beating us up. He's basically put us in a spiritual fetal position in the corner, curled up like a baby, and just like, please, Paul, we get it. We give up. We're dead. We're not righteous. We can't do anything about it. We're condemned. Would you just please leave us alone, Paul? Uh, so we get that this is not a self-help book. Um, it's the antithesis of Oprah and Dr. Oz combined. We, uh, Paul spent three chapters uh, just letting us know that we, uh, ridding us really of self-dependency all across the board. And we've exhausted the, the bad news of the gospel, right? And, and Paul did this because he wanted us to know the bad news in its entirety so we could appreciate and, and love God for the good news that he would ultimately bring in the in the position that he's going to bring to us today and he wanted us to know you are completely self-dependent you cannot depend on yourself it is all God and we've exhausted the bad news of the gospel so there's something that happens today and this is why I'm ready to turn the page something happens today where it takes the course for the good news we're changing the pace we're moving into the good news Amen to that. Anybody in the room, right? We're ready for that. I think we're primed and ready. Uh, something changes in the course of this book, and then God is going to take the, the hopelessness that we're in, and he's going to give us great hope. He's going to take the, the wrath that we were under, and he's going to show us mercy. He's going to show us uh, that we are going from death to life, from hell to heaven, all in the course of this pattern today. We've We've learned attributes of God that maybe we didn't uh, fully understand. Clearly, Paul has shown us in three chapters that we serve a God that is a God that is a just God. He will, he will have justice. He is a God of wrath, and he's a, a God of condemnation. He's shown that completely. We, that's where we're standing currently. But now today, in this turn, uh, we are also going to see that we love and we serve a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of justice, a God of forgiveness, a God of peace, a God of restoration, a God of redemption, and a God of righteousness, and we are so primed and ready for that position. Uh, before we kind of do that today, uh, we, we know that even last week that he left us in a position that no one is righteous, right? No one's righteous, no, not one, no one does good. So completely stripped us down to the point of we do not and cannot manufacture righteous. So the question we ask today is how do we get this righteousness? How do we get this righteousness? Because that is what God's righteousness requires him to require. That's what he says you got to have. you got to be righteous. So how do we get that? How do we pursue that? How do we attain this righteousness that God 
requires. And today we'll declare in the passage that we're going to, re- to read today that this righteousness that we get from God is by faith and faith alone. It is called, uh, in the Latin, it's called sola fide. And it means justification by faith and faith alone. So that's what we'll declare today. That's on your little tear-out thing. We want you to know what that means. Before we really get in, I, wanna, I just want to acknowledge something for a second. Many of you um, have been going through the book of Romans with us, and you've grown up in church. Um, and you've, you've started to hear things or read things in the book of Romans that maybe the church you grew up in and with never taught about these things, never talked about them, or told you something different to it. I want to acknowledge this, the, the sensitivity to that, and, and, and that's where a lot of you could be. And the, the initial reaction can be, whoa, I want to reject this because it's not what I've been taught my whole life. I feel like I've been lied to or, or something's been really withheld from me that's very, very important. It, it would be like you uh, waking up tomorrow and finding out that you, uh, your parents are not your parents. You were just adopted, and, and your whole life they, someone's been holding out a truth from you or you've been lied to. You would feel very, very slighted. I would encourage you, if that's you through this study, man, I would want you to question, as I have myself, is that something that you were taught, was it biblical or was it just something someone told you and you believed, right? I, I, I've been stretched through this study of Romans. When I'm stretched, I know you guys are stretched. I don't have it figured out, but, man, it's working on me, and it's teaching me things that I never, ever knew about our God ever before. But I would always ask you um, to question, is this biblically what I'm hearing, or have I heard? Is it biblically, or is it someone that just told me? So every Sunday I get up before I start um, getting ready for this, the sermon on Sundays, and I pray, I pray that we would um, that we would find delight in God, that we would search um, the words, and that we would be soft to these things, these hard truths that God is presenting. Um, and, and let's pray before we dive into the Scripture today, and let's do that. Uh, God, we are so primed and so ready for your good news. You've clearly, clearly communicated the, the inability of all of us to, uh, to, to attain righteousness, to be uh, having any favor with you, to do good works for you apart from Jesus. So God, we're primed, we're ready, hearts are ready, we're soft for your good news of the gospel, to bring great joy with the people in here today, that we would walk away as a joyful people celebrating uh, this good news that you're about to show us today. Help us to show uh, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. When we uh, live out our lives in this, in this uh, city that we're in, that we would show the fruit of the Spirit to this world. And we would start by just worshiping you more today by reading your word. We love you so much. Uh, we're ready. Um, so God, teach us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right, Romans 3, uh, 21 through 31. And let's dive in. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Out of the gate, underline but now. Underline that in your scripture, in your Bible, wherever you're at. Because something just happened. Paul has spent three chapters basically pummeling us. Telling us we have no ability, completely depraved of anything and ability to please God, to give glory to God, to be righteous. And now something has changed. Something has, has, has happened that we have not done on our own because we've been clearly taught we couldn't do anything. What has happened? 
but now. It means hope has come, right? The remedy is now here. That's the transition, uh, two of the greatest words in the entire Bible. Luther calls this the chief passage of the Bible. Everything changes by these two words, the course of action, our position with God has been changed. But now. But now. But we were, uh, we were objects of God's wrath. Now we're objects of God's righteousness. We were, uh, we were facing death, but God gives life. We were hopeless. And now Jesus is our greatest hope. We're dead, but now we have life. All because of what God did that we could not. But now, the good news, primed and ready, all glory, honor, praise because of what God did, not us. He's changed the position. And it says that this righteousness that we want, right, has been manifested apart from the law. Now here's what he's saying, is that clearly we've seen uh, so far that the law, that everyone's been measured up against the law and have failed miserably. Right? It's the standard of God's perfection. It is what he requires and everyone's failed. The Gentile failed even though they didn't possess the law in their hands. God said it was written on your heart. I've revealed it through creation, but you just rebel. But even though you don't have it in your hands, you failed miserably. You're held accountable to the law. And then to the Jew, he says, you have it in your hand, but it's not in your heart. You don't follow these commandments. So you failed miserably. You do not reach the law. You don't meet the standard of perfection. So what good is the law? You might ask at that point collectively, hey, what good is the law? Well, the law is, is an avenue that God uses to, to declare and lead us to grace, to show us the, the desperate condition that we are in. So there is value in the law. It's just a standard of perfection that we cannot meet. So there is value in that, but the law is like the law is like an MRI. It's like a scan that reveals the disease, the cancer in you, but it provides no cure. Here's your disease. You're you're basically dead. You got nothing to do, and here's no cure for you. There's the law. All right, and people respond to that law of God in three different ways. The perfection that He requires. Three ways. The first one is is we try harder i got to try harder. I'm not doing as good. i got to keep manufacturing my works, works, works. i got to try harder to earn God's. I'll meet that perfection one day. Only compounding the condemnation that we're already under. That's all it does. So give up. All right? The second response is just out of despair, we just give up. I can never be perfect. I can never fulfill all of those things. All of the requirements of the law, I can't do that. So I'm just giving up. I've only got one life to live. God wants me to be happy. I'm going to do everything for my joy, my praise, and I'm giving up trying to please God and meet his standard. I'm not perfect. And then the third response is hopefully the response of the believers is that it leaves us in a desperate state and a desperate condition to seek the righteousness of God, to seek his mercy and his forgiveness and his grace, that he would do it for us and he would lead us the way luther calls the law as a, as an usher to the way of grace to lead us to grace that's what it's for all right so that's the position that we're in as opposed to the law as we're speaking about the law so this 
this righteousness, all right? We've clearly seen that this righteousness is not manufactured by human will and human effort. So how is it manifested? Where do we get this righteousness? And we begin to unpack this, is that although the law and the prophets bear witness to it in 22, it says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. It's been revealed, he's revealed it, of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Belief. It's been revealed by faith. So here's, here's, what, here's what we're saying. Here's what he's saying. That, that literally, sola fide, that's the justification by faith and faith alone, are you to get and obtain the righteousness of God. Not faith plus baptism. Not faith plus works. Not faith plus church. Not faith plus church membership. Not faith plus Bible knowledge. Nothing else but faith alone, sola fide. It is the cornerstone of the entire church. Uh, Luther also said that if any church preaches anything else but sola fide, justification by faith alone, that it ceases to be a biblical church. Nothing else. Faith in Jesus plus anything else equals nothing. Now, my baptism, my works, my obedience, my church, my local, all those things, those are all things that give evidences of an authentic faith in me. They give evidence, but they don't provide salvation. So no one can rest on a belief in salvation and never have any of those things. Those give evidences, but they do not save. This, this belief, this solifina, this is what divided the early church. This is what caused and birthed the Protestant Reformation. Why men were beheaded, beaten, tracked down like dogs, and killed over sola fide because they believed by faith and faith alone. When the Catholic Church said it was faith plus, faith plus works, faith plus this, faith plus that, over and over again. And they said, the Reformation said, no, it's faith and faith only are you justified. Human history altered by this doctrine that is by faith and faith only. So this faith, uh, where does this faith come from? All right, so that, now we're starting to narrow down this righteousness. So I need to have faith in Christ to be counted as righteous. So where does my faith come from? The initial reaction, I have to have faith in this. I've got to manufacture my faith. I've got to muster up enough faith. Human will, enough effort to manufacture the faith to believe in Jesus. That's what I thought before I came to Christ. But here's what I want you to know about faith. As we strip down the total depravity that all mankind is in last week, that we have no ability to please God, nothing, and we've been equated as dead people, right? Lazarus, we brought that in. Uh, Ephesians says we are dead people. We're spiritually dead. Well, let me tell you what. A dead person cannot manufacture faith, can they? Lazarus didn't say, uh, when Jesus called him out, he didn't say, I've got faith that Jesus is calling me. I'm going to respond now. Absolutely not. Jesus breathed life and faith into him and gave him the ability to believe. So even 
as we are all hopefully, uh, or not hopefully, but all, as all some people hope and try to hang on to the one single thing that you could take credit for. I just have to have faith in this. That even Paul says, the faith that saved you to believe in Christ came as a gift from God. You did not manufacture the faith to believe to save you. It is a gift from God so that no man may boast. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved. We would understand that through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. No man can even boast that they had the faith to believe it. It is a gift from God. Now we're talking about salvation. I've got to make that clear and you've got to understand because your position is dead. God breathes life and faith into you and your response is believing. That's the action after faith and life has been imputed to you. You have no ability. So that's the response of the dead people. As I said, that's just in the process of salvation. Now we know as followers of Christ, as we live, we, we have different levels of faith sometimes, right? We, that, sometimes it's really, really good, and sometimes it's not so good. Uh, but, but we clearly know that, that initi- initially the faith that we have to believe in salvation is a gift from God so that no man may boast. I told you last week that the more and more you grow in Christ, the more you will, you will continue to reduce and decrease yourself and the more you get to God. So now we've taken away You didn't even manufacture the faith. He gave it to you to believe, and your response was believing. All right, that's the action. Believing, as we've talked about, the belief in Christ is the response of us. That's what we do after faith has been given to us. All right, so belief, this is always a very important word when we're talking about salvation because there gets a a lot of cloudiness in that. The belief or the believing of, of of the salvation is always a, a, a present tense word. When it's used in scripture, it's always talking about an ongoing condition of the heart, not a one-time event. All right, It's an action that's lived out. You can't say, I believe because I believed back when I was 13 at camp, or because I got saved when I was a child. I believed when I was eight at VBS. I believed at Easter when I got saved and I accepted Christ. Believing is a present and ongoing condition of your heart every single day that you show that you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does your life show that you believe? We've broken down the word belief several times in several different um, sermons about the belief being an acknowledgement, an understanding, a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then there's an acceptance of the truth. I, I trust it. I agree with it. And then there's a living out of that belief. It means I'm living out that truth. Because I've acknowledged it, my life looks radically different than it used to. And when I can say that my believing means be living, it means to be living out that truth, I can look back and I say, I believe. I believe because my life looks like it does. It wasn't a one-time event. I believe today that it is. Now, Here's the difference where many people come in, they have this understanding, misunderstanding of the word believe. They come into church seeking the things that only God can give, but not seeking God himself. We talked about that last week. Come 
heal my marriage, God. Come help my job situation. I'm financially struggling. Would you provide a way out? I'm struggling with addictions of some kind. God, can you take these away? Can you pull them away from me? And you'll say, I'll believe if you can take these things away from me, God. If you can give me your stuff, I'll believe. That's not believing. Because what quickly happens, and you guys may have seen or have friends that do this, what happens is, is they may come around for the things that only Jesus can offer, and they either think that they get them, and once they think they have them, they're gone. They're, they've left. They ain't coming back. Or they never receive those things that Jesus can offer, and then they leave then too. Because God, you, didn't, you don't work for me. You didn't give me what I thought. Believing means you believe even when you don't get what you think you deserve or what God should offer. That's believing. Are you enduring through the tough and the trials and the tribulations? Or do you check out when you don't, you don't get what you want? That's the difference between believing. All right, so let's, let's keep going. Because in here, Paul is getting ready to recap the gospel, really, in these next three phases. And many people ask this question. He's going to hit this on. Many people's questions would say, how can a loving God punish people? How can he do that? He, he loves, how does he punish people? All right, how can, how can he send someone to hell if he loves them? Well, that question is, is usually asked by people that don't know the Bible. And they don't know the God of the Bible. Because if you know the God of the Bible, the question you're going to ask is how can God let anyone into heaven? That's the question you need to ask yourself. How does he do it? Because if you ask that question, you are now at the perfect prime position that says, I understand my depravity. I've offended God. I've rebelled against God. I know how he could send me to hell because I deserve it. How can I get into heaven? And that is what Paul breaks down in these next few verses. And here's what he says in 22. For there is no distinction... He says, out of the gate, there's no distinction. There is no distinction between Gentiles or Jews, uh, between the man in Africa, between the man in Laverne, between the man in Murfreesboro, the man in Bangkok. There is no distinction because all men have a poisonous heart. They're depraved without Jesus. And that no one's more deserving of salvation than anyone else. We have a world perspective Right? This is why we are a sending church. This is why we do things like the one-day offering. And yet today, so many professed Christians will display elitism and say, well, why do we go to Bangkok? Why do we go to Brussels? Why do we need to do that? There's people that need Jesus right here in Smyrna, Tennessee. And my response is, yeah, there sure is. So why don't you go tell them, and then I'm going to Bangkok. I'm going to Brazil, or someone else will go. Because God had a heart for all nations of all creed, color, race. God lays out a clear picture. There's only one race, and it's the human race. And all are in desperate need for the gospel. So be careful, Christians, with your words, that you don't say, why do we have to go over there? That's, that's, not, that's not biblical statement. So let's be careful to not do that. So this elitism that people display. So here's what he says after this. He says in verse 23, he says, For all, go back to 23, he says, For all 
have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is kind of reiterating Romans 10 or Romans 3, 10 through 12, that none is righteous, no, not one, no one does good, no one seeks for God. It basically says that we have no ability to give God any glory at all, to make him look good. See, we were created to give God glory. That's our purpose in our life. That's why I told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. He didn't just mean by numbers. He didn't just mean go have babies. He said, multiply my glory. Make me look really good, Adam and Eve. Go do that. We were created for that. All right, creation. Here's, here's what God does with creation. He tells the ocean where its limits are, and the ocean stops. He tells the wind where to blow, what direction, and the wind obeys. He tells the rains where to drop, and they submit to his authority. When it comes to man, we do the exact opposite. Just as Adam and Eve did in the garden, said, no, I don't want to be for your glory. I want the glory. I want to be king. I want to make myself look good. This is the position that we're all in apart from Jesus because of sin. Sin has entered the world, so we do not have the ability to fulfill our purpose to create and, 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 and bring God glory. It says we all fall short of the glory of God. We don't have the ability to do that. Okay, And then he says in this 23, there we go. And our, uh, let's go back to 23 real quick or finish that up. Okay? There's three, three pieces in this next piece, uh, this next thing about three effects of the cross. All right? This is the process of salvation. There's three words I want you to be ready to write down because we're going to understand what Paul means for these things. So let's go to 20. Now we're ready for 24, sorry. And it says this, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So three words that Paul wants us to understand in this text about salvation. The first one would be justified or justification. All right, That word is a legal declaration that God makes with his judgment. When he declares something, it's a judicial uh, judgment that he passed down upon us, all Christians... And he declares us legally righteous. He, he, he does that for us. But here's the cool part about it. He does that even while we were still sinners. Remember, we haven't done anything. So he makes this declaration, this legal declaration, righteous while we were still sinners. And we did nothing for that. All right. Now, here's what I, I want you to know about justification. Some of y'all maybe have heard the term in your, uh, maybe growing up in church, it means just as if I've never sinned, right? You've, you've been declared uh, blameless and spotless. God's taken away every sin and wiped it all away. That is justification. But what justification is not, it is not a divine pardon. All right? Now, here's what I mean by that. A divine pardon is where God would say, I, I forgive you of everything you've done and offered no punishment for that. That he would just let a pardon, let everybody go. You're all good. I'm just going to declare you righteous. Go, go, go. Everybody gets in. It's all good. Everybody gets to inherit the kingdom. That's called a pardon because it has no punishment for the guilt. There's no satisfaction of the wrath of God. If that was the case, God wouldn't be just because he would be forgiving 
and pardoning guilty people without a punishment. And we would say, God, you're not just if you do that. All right, now picture if you witnessed, uh, you were a witness of a man beating his, his wife to death. And you saw the whole thing. And you went over and you whipped him and called the popo. And they call in and arrest him, bring him down to the, to the courthouse. And you're a witness at the trial. And they said, uh, they bring him up to, to sentence him. And the judge says, I love you. I'm a very gracious judge today. And I'm going to forgive you with no penalty. I'm going to pardon you. There would be outrage. People would go nuts, right? They'd be calling the news stations, rioting. And everyone would say, that judge is not just. They don't deserve to be up there. They can't make those calls. You can't let somebody go guilty. And that's exactly why justification is not a divine pardon. There had to be a penalty paid in that. And then Paul reveals this word called redemption. All right, this word redemption is really the act of being saved. All right, it's the process of, of adoption, being freed from the curse of the law, being freed from the bondage of sin. Acceptance of, of salvation of God. God is saving us. We are being redeemed. We are being forgiven. Our sins are being covered by Christ. Redemption also is a, is a word that means bought. All right, it means bought. In the context of this language, they used this word redemption when it referred to slavery. And it says that God bought us. He bought us out of our slavery to sin. And he purchased us by his blood, by the blood of his son. And he bought us out of this. So now we have, we have this justification and we have this redemption. Those are two things in our salvation that we want. But we cannot have them yet until the wrath of God has been satisfied, right? We want the justification, man. You declared me righteous, and, and I want you to redeem me. I want you to restore everything. I want all of those things that I get with redemption. But God says, wait, my wrath has got to be satisfied first. Remember, if he didn't, there would be, he wouldn't be a just God, all right? So we are saved by God from God. And it's called propitiation. All right, that's the next word in this text. That the propitiation means the satisfaction of the wrath of God. It had to be satisfied. And the satisfaction, here's the satisfaction, that the wrath that was intended for you and intended for me was poured out on Jesus instead. It was a propitiation by his blood. That wrath was not pardoned. It was poured out on his son, Jesus. Propitiation. That wrath had to go somewhere or he would not be a just God. He took the punishment that we deserve. And that's what that word means, the wrath. Now, here's where we start talking about God's wrath. Many people would view uh, the, Jesus on the cross. The crucifixion was the wrath of God. Oh, man, look at that punishment. He's absorbing God's wrath. He's been beaten, stripped down, flesh nails in hands, all of those things. But that's not God's wrath. God's wrath does not terminate and does not end at nails in the hand and nails in the feet. All through the Old Testament, it refers to the cup of God's wrath. Now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when uh, Jesus was sweating blood, he wasn't afraid to go to the cross. That wasn't what he was doing. 
He said, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't talking about the cup of crucifixion. He was talking about the cup of God's wrath. And his wrath, God's wrath, was when the sins of those who God would redeem was poured out on his son instead of you and me. And when God turned, when God turned and could not look upon his son, it wasn't because he didn't want to see his son punished. It wasn't because he didn't want to see him crucified on the cross. It was because he didn't want to see your sin and my sin stained upon his perfect, blameless, spotless lamb. That's why he turned away. He could not see it. That is the wrath of God. Where Jesus was separated from his father, that God could not even look upon him, that was God's wrath, not the crucifixion. His sin, our sins put upon him, he absorbed the wrath for us. That's why it's called the great exchange. Because he, ass, he assigns us righteousness and we, we hand him over our dead nature and depravity. The great, great exchange. Let's keep going. 25. He says, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now leave that up because two times he just said this was to show God's righteousness. It wasn't for you. It was to show his righteousness, to prove that he alone is worthy of our praise. Saved by God, from God, for God. To show his righteousness to the world. Not for us, to show him righteous. And then he says, then Paul says that, that Jesus is, 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 the, is just and the justifier. What does he mean by that? Alright? Now here's what, he, here's what he means. That if, he, if, if, if God was just just, and that's all that he was. He was just a just God. None of us would ever inherit the kingdom of God. We'd all be condemned because that's what we deserve. That's what we would do if we was just a just God. And if God was just the justifier, then that means he would just say, okay, everybody's in. Everybody's good. I'm pardoning everybody's sin. You're all good. I don't care if I'm just or not. I just want to justify everybody. But he says he was just and the justifier. At the cross, the judge took the punishment. <laughs> That's exactly what he did. He was just because he didn't look over the sin. He punished it all right. So he's just. And he's the justifier because he stepped in and he took the place. He says, I'm declaring the verdict. Guilty. And then now I'm jumping down because I'm going to absorb the penalty and the wrath. I'm taking it. He is both just and the justifier. All right, well, let's, keep clo let's close out here in the rest of this passage. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? Question mark? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Or is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the un uncircumcised by or through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by his faith? By no means. 
On the contrary, we uphold the law. Out of the gate, he says, man, what becomes of our boasting? What about all the boasting? What about our boasting in faith plus life point? I go to life point. I have been baptized. I've got a, uh, a fish sticker on my car. I listen to the fish on uh, the radio. What about my church membership? I boast in all of those things. My works. I serve. I've got a ministry. Right? I do all of these things. I disciple people. I, I, I. Boasting in all of the things except the only thing that we're supposed to boast in in Christ and Christ alone. Now, many would say, I don't boast in those things. I, I don't go around bragging about, I mean, nobody would admit that. I don't brag about my works. I don't do that. But how does your language look when it comes out of your mouth? What comes out of your mouth proceeds from the heart. So your words matter. They matter. Do you say, man, I, I want to boast in this I'm boasting in what I did, my ministry, my works, all of these things. And Paul says, it's excluded. You don't boast in anything else but the cross of Christ, him and him alone. And I pray that you watch your words, right? Proceeds from our mouth, comes from the heart. That we would only boast in Christ and Christ alone when we have to give a defense before God. And when we live our lives as followers of Christ. Everything that we do, everywhere we go in our communities. Do people look at you and your works and it stops right there? Or do the things that you do lead to the cross? Do they lead to the glory of God or do they end at the glory of you? Your language and your words matter. Paul wrapped up 31 talking about the, the position of the law. That we don't the law is, is not to be absolved. We still have the law. We'll talk about that next week as we lead in. The guys are going to come up, and we're going to wrap up today. Man, the, the, the response uh, when we hear you know things like today with our position being radically changed from the desperate state, the desperate condition, the desperate depravity that we were in, and now we know that God made the way. God declared us righteous. God paved the way. He provided a way out. He did all of those things. And when you realize that, it leads, it should lead to a praise and a worship of his name because he's worthy. He's worthy. And when I say worship, I don't mean during this next song. I mean with your life. When you leave, do you live out the truth that you were facing condemnation and now you Inherit the kingdom of God because of what he did? Do you live that truth out? That's worship. Everything you do in your car, in your home, at your job, that is worship. Sunday is corporate worship. We're biblically we're called to come together to sing his praises, to be joyful. That there's a there's a there's a, a sense of joy and love that happens in a community in a corporate manner that cannot happen in your car and it cannot happen in your home. We can't say, I worship in my home, in my closet. We should. But right here, corporately together, we come together of people that are singing the praises of God's name loud and proud because of what he's done in our life.
that's our response. If you've never, uh, man, had a reason to praise Jesus, you didn't really know why. You put a lot of faith in you and not a lot of faith in Christ in your life. It's all about what you do, what you have to do to earn faith, manufacture it, keep it, whatever. If you've never put your faith in Christ, you want to know what that means, where that comes from, come find me. I'd love to talk to you about Christ. It's my favorite thing to do, always. And I'd love to be able to share that with you. Let's, let's pray. God, we love you so much. What a great, great God, a rescuer God. To change the course of, of history by, by entering into it and splitting our destination from hell to heaven, from wrath to grace, from condemnation to love and mercy, grace. We love you so much for doing that. You are mighty and you are mighty to save. We respond with our voices and our lives as we leave today. We pray these things in Christ's name.